how you use them. T-minus three, two, one, zero, and liftoff. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to BizDoc Podcast. This week, we've got some very interesting stats on social media. Everybody's been asking me, which is the most used social media? Which do you use? What do you use? What do you let your kids use? I've got all those answers and more. And then we have a case study. Boy, talk about big headlines. Figma design. We all love Figma. Those of us that make websites, that make mobile apps. Figma has been the most amazing collaboration tool, a great design tool. Adobe, old man Adobe, coming out to buy it for 20 billion dollars, suddenly they're not going to be bought. And there's a whole bunch of headlines about it. I'm going to break it down. We're going to give you a quick little case study on Figma from the beginning to where they are today and where they're going now that they're not going to be bought. So this week, this is what we got. Number one, we're going to go through social media stats, specifically looking at what teens are using specifically and what they're not using. Then second, we have got a great case study on Figma and we'll break down the failed Adobe merger with Figma, what's well, really an acquisition. Adobe's like, I'll give you 20 billion for you and your company. That's an acquisition. Merger is where two people come together as equals. In this case, somebody's carrying 20 billion coming to see you. So let's start with social media. All right, interesting data this week on teens. Let's look at the chart and get right out the gate here. See if we can unlock your brain with this. I got, as usual, got my, my vault black cherry. You can get them all on Amazon, all the colors, watermelon, cucumber, mint, and my favorite, black cherry. Go up there on Amazon, get it. No caffeine, no sugar, just unlock your brain. Now let's unlock these stats. So this is US Teens from the Pew Center for Research. So this is a reputable, uh, uh, you, no, it wasn't just a survey of one high school. It's a very reputable, large national survey that they did. And take a look at this. We're gonna look at from 2022 to 23. So 2022 was the recovery year from COVID, 21 to 22, real estate went bonkers, all that stuff. People coming back to work, but wait, some were still working from home and complaining about it. And then 2023, which has been a pretty regular year in terms of the economy. Thought it was gonna be worse than it was. Real estate sucked, a lot of things happening, but we didn't have COVID effects right now in 23. So we can really take a look at people. Hey, are they back at school, back at work? Let's look, is this regular migration patterns from out of the house to wherever you're going? Yes, it was. 13 to 17 years old. YouTube went down from 77% to 71%. But what's interesting, this is the folks that say they're using it every day 77 percent 2022 so it goes down a little bit what goes up no surprise TikTok from 57 to 58 percent but wait a minute that means youtube is still lord god king of social media snapchat it's even at 51 percent so for those of you that thought that snapchat died and went to social media hell or someplace the the eighth ring of dante's inferno where MySpace is currently living. No, they're, they're actually not far below um, TikTok. So you would have thought that TikTok was 20, 20 times bigger or maybe two times bigger or something like that. Snapchat, nope, not the case. They're neck and neck. And Instagram is actually behind, a little bit behind Snapchat. 49% of teens were using it in 22, 47% in 23, 51 and 51 was Snapchat, 57, 22, a little bit of a tick up, 58, 
23. But now look at what they're not using. Facebook. Facebook, only 18% of teams were using it daily in 2022 and 19% in 2023. You know why? Because the surveys also showed Facebook, that is so my parents. That is what they think. That is so my parents. Specifically, they're like, that's not us. And so if you take a look at Facebook, Facebook at 19%, two times 19 is 38. So Instagram is more than two times Facebook and YouTube, never mind. It's like three, three times Facebook, almost four times Facebook if you go back to 2022 figures. So what does this mean? What this means is that short attention span theater TikTok and Snapchat is definitely what they're after, but they're still going to YouTube for stuff. And YouTube is not just YouTube shorts. Shorts are part of YouTube. Great channels that are out there. Shoot, Valuetainment's channel has got a lot of great shorts on there. We have great shorts here from the BizDoc case study and, and stats and things. We pull things out of the PBD podcast for shorts. But teens are still there and it's not exclusively short. So this is very, very interesting. The perception people have, oh, they're just on TikTok this last year. Nope. And it's actually YouTube is still number one. So I thought that was very, very interesting. And so I wanted to compare that to, okay, that's teens in the United States, but I know that Facebook is still the, the 500, the 300 pound gorilla when it comes to social media around the world. So I said, let me see if I could find out some things about social media around the world. And I did, Statista found this chart. So we like to thank our good friends at Statista. And let's pop this chart up right here and take a look at around the world. So around the world, globally, Facebook, 3 billion users. Now let's go, let's go find YouTube, 2.5 billion users. So teens, Facebook was dead last at 19%. YouTube was first at 77%. That's teens in the United States. You go global, Facebook is Lord God King around the world. Then let's go to Instagram, 2 billion. Right there with WhatsApp, 2 billion. So the children of Facebook that they own now, they're the adopted children because Facebook has not built anything notable since they built Facebook itself. And they've been adding features and stuff like that, of course. They bought WhatsApp, they bought Instagram. Those are 2 billion each. Then you get down to, where's TikTok? 1.2 billion globally, Snapchat. 750. There's the perception that people have about Snapchat. Is that Snapchat 750 versus Facebook um, 3 billion? That makes Snapchat like one fourth, a little bit more than a fourth of uh, one. Because somebody said, yeah, no, it's actually exactly a quarter, a quarter of Facebook on a global basis. So there's where the perception of where Snapchat is. But U.S. teens, for you marketers out there trying to reach the 13 to 18-year-old segment, pay attention. YouTube is, what, is where they're at, number one. And then number two, of course, drops way down to TikTok and Snapchat, which are right together. So if you're only on TikTok and you're not on uh, Snapchat, for American teens, you're missing part of the market because that's, wh that's where they fish. And if you want to catch those, that's where those fish swim. You want to catch those fish, that's where you got to be fishing. And what's interesting to me, you go all the way down here, Pinterest, 465. And I'm beginning to wonder, is Pinterest on the edge of the waterfall heading toward the deep, what I call it, the sixth ring of Dante's Inferno where the waterfall comes down there and it takes Pinterest with it? Who knows? Maybe I'll do a uh, uh, case study on that. 
But anyway, I just wanted to drill this down because I thought this was really interesting to see in the age of modern marketing, where do you spend your dollars and what do you do? You know, and if you're trying to get the teens, that's where it is. Well, speaking of mobile apps, we're talking about all these mobile apps here. Everything we were just talking about is a mobile application. Now, some of them are available online. Instagram's online, Pinterest is online. But for the most part, it is a mobile world and people are right there on mobile getting their information and spending their time and chilling out. So maybe when the Super Bowl, they sit back with chips and dip and all those treats and everything and watch it on an 80-inch TV at their parents' house. But for the rest of the time, they're right here. So I thought that's very interesting to me. And so how do you make those mobile apps? There's a lot of great software out there to do it. And one software that makes mobile apps and um, uh, mobile and also um, web apps and provides collaboration for the creative uh, teams that are doing all that, bringing all this great stuff to life is a company called Figma. If you've ever been uh, sent a Figma link and you go and look at that link, you open it up and see what's going on. They get, ask you for your comments and you can type them right in there. Then you've used Figma. Maybe you didn't even know it. But Figma, there is an offer made for them for $20 billion to be bought by Adobe. And so that didn't go so well, but I'm gonna take you through the history of Figma that makes all these app things that we're talking about here come to life. And we're gonna see why the Adobe acquisition failed. So I'm gonna get my vault, I'm gonna go down to Studio B, and I'll be right back. All right, all right, all right, I think I found my board, my beloved board. And my black cherry ball. Love that black cherry. Okay, so headlines this week about Figma. Headlines about Adobe. What's going on? Well, let's dive into it. Figma design software. If you've been part of a group that made a mobile app, or maybe you were the customer, or maybe there is an app redesign or a mobile version of your company website or whatever it is, and you got a link for Figma, hey, check this out, let us know what you think, and you add in your comments. Then you get on a Zoom call and you see other people's comments and things moving around in real time. That's collaboration and design support brought to you by Figma. And this company has been on a rocket ride since it was born. Brilliant concept. Let's dive into it and see what are those headlines about that said $20 billion Adobe wanted to pay, but governments and regulators said no. That's exactly what happened. But it's nobody's fault. It's not Figma's fault. It's not Adobe's fault. It's just a regulator said both y'all are too big and will control too much of the market. So let's see where the story starts and bring you back to that point. Figma. Where it began, this guy and his buddy are at Brown. <clears throat> this is Dylan Field. He has a good buddy named Evan Wallace. They're studying CompSci at Brown. They have an idea for this. They go out, they get a $100,000 Thiel's uh, fellowship from Peter Thiel to do it. Evan Wallace, I think, is the one that finishes degree. Dylan Field doesn't. Dylan comes out to get things moving. That's where it got started with their vision for Figma. Then, 2015, they, you know, three years later, they have a beta that's launched with a lot of work they put into it, and it's invite only. So in other words, people could now use the software by invitation only, similar to the way in the early days, this kind of was with Facebook, you could put yourself on a wait list and eventually, you know, you were able to use it. But that's very common in software so that you can control how many people use it, but you can put real users on the ground and get real statistics and information back about how it's working for them. 2016, they made a public release of the software and they're off and running. So within those four years, they're driving. Well now, what has happened in the seven years since? 
they have built a monster that's really been driving. So let's take a look at the venture funding because my old board, when I used to do it, I would draw the venture funding for you. And this one, it's a really compelling case. So I thought we'd walk through it. So they have the Thiel Scholarship you saw in 2013. They got seed, the seed round, 3.8 million from Index Ventures and Terrence Rohan. Okay. They take that, put that money to work, and two years later, 2015, they do a Series A of $14 million with Greylock. That's a pretty good size Series A. Then you go 2018, so three years after that, they do a Series B of $25 million, Kleiner Perkins. They now have Index, Greylock, Kleiner Perkins. You are going up the food chain in terms of the prestige and the capabilities of the venture capital community. There's nothing wrong with Index, and there's nothing wrong with uh, Greylock, but Kleiner per Perkins, let's face it, Benchmark Sequoia, Kleiner Perkins, that's the top of Mount Everest when it comes to venture capital. 2019, a year later, they do a Series C, $40 million, Sequoia, Hey, hey, that's what I meant. You know, Kleiner Sequoia Benchmark, you are now at the pinnacle of venture capital and you have got $65 million in about a year and a half from them. You are a player. How much so? 2020, a year later, they declare that you are a $2 billion valuation startup. Although now it's been about eight years since you started up, since those days where you got the Thiel Fellowship and you left Brown to go drive this with your friend and you raise $50 million from Andreessen Horowitz. Take a look at this. Look at this pedigree of investors. That is significant. Then 2021, a year later, one year later, $10 billion valuation in May. Well, you know what I used to say? I'm going to say it now. There is a word for that, and that is damn. That is a lot of money. That is a big stack of money. But, and it's a big stack of valuation, and it's a $200 million Series E. So you take a look at this. Venture funding, as it says up there, $333 million from 2013, 2021, over eight years. And what were they doing over eight years? Making software that's phenomenal and acquiring users, making it even better, adding functionality to it, and kicking the crap out of Adobe, who is now starting to lose market share on one of its premier products, and don't think they weren't paying attention. How do we know? This is how we know. You take a look at this product. Here's the collaboration. You have a designer here, a developer here, people going over, and they're looking at these. These are equivalent of phone screens. And you have all these collaboration tools. So if you've never seen it, you should talk to a developer or a designer out there that does mobile apps or web and say, what do you think of Figma? And they're going to praise it for all the right reasons. It makes it easy. It makes it fast. How do I know? Oh, let me step back and tell you. How you design, align, and build matters. Do it together with Figma. That's their tagline. So, but we love it. How do I know that they make this tagline come true with what they do? Simple. We use it. Minect, the Minect uh, app that allows people to connect. If you're an expert, you can go on Minect, make yourself a profile. If you're a user, you can make a, a profile for yourself and then look around for experts such as the BizDoc and Patrick Bet David and others and saying, hey, can I pay you for a half hour of your time, 15 minutes of your time, or for a text message or for a voice message in response? I've got honest questions about life, about my business. I did two minutes today, 15 minutes each, people asking about how to frame a Series A deck for investors that they're gonna be seeing this week. Another one was, 
I've got enough money on my own. I don't need investment right now, but I have two family members want to put in. Should I do it now? I said, why don't you wait a little bit till you need that money and your company's worth a little more? These are the kind of questions people get answered on Minect. You go in there, find somebody you want to ask it with, send the question, you pay for it, the expert is paid, answers the question, text to text, voice to voice, or live like a FaceTime. And that's what we do. And Minect was designed using Figma. Here's an example of some of the new screens that are coming up and things that we're working on as we're constantly trying to make Minect better, but this is us using Figma. So not only do I understand the company through my own BizDoc research, but we're a customer. So what happens with all this great success and helping to design things like the greatest user expert connection app in the world, in my opinion, Minect? What happens? Adobe knocks on the door. September 2022, hey, aren't you the guys that makes that really cool software, you know, the stuff that things like Minect are designed with? Yes, we are. We'd like to offer you $20 billion for your company. Immediate criticism followed. Adobe XD, many people thought that that was a little bit ancient and it was getting its butt kicked by Figma. Fewer and fewer developer designers that I know of were, recommend, were saying that they were using XD. More and more of them said they were using Figma. It was losing market share. So, makes sense that they would come to buy it. Now, there were some people out there that said, now wait a minute. If you buy Figma and you have XD, you basically own the whole market. And I'm not sure we can make that happen. How is it that Figma is gonna keep becoming better and better after you buy it, or are you just gonna buy it and let it stay put, and then you're gonna go make sure that you can take care of um, XD and, and, and keep making that? To which Adobe said, dude, I'm paying $20 billion, that's an awful lot of money to pay somebody to stop. And he said, nonetheless, people were concerned. And this point was brought up. Well, you know, you wouldn't be the first person that bought a company to kind of prevent competition. That's what Facebook did when they bought WhatsApp. Because what that meant was it prevented WhatsApp from growing into a competitor for Facebook's core business, and they kind of stuck it on there just as a communication tool. Big companies have done this to little companies for a lot, and, and we want the consumer to benefit. Now, whose voice am I speaking in? I'm talking about the U.S. Department of Justice looking into antitrust investigation. February 2023, I'm of the European Commission beginning an investigation into their EU merger laws. Those are the voices I'm talking about. Guess what? That's like you see the, the blue and red lights blinking in your driveway and you know the keg party's over, the cops have arrived. So here we go. And the report comes out in early 23 that the EU will likely block the merger. 23 was spent dancing back and forth, trying to figure out if they could make the merger happen. Well, what happens? Well, let's take a look what happens to Adobe's stock history during this dance. When Adobe announced that it was gonna acquire Figma for 20 billion in cash and stock, the market reacted harshly. How harsh? That harsh. That is, that is a bad day. That is a yeah, I'm not going to say what that is. That is a trip to the prison shower and meeting a guy named Bubba. This, your stock suddenly takes a crash, and here it is. Stock dropped 17%, $100 in 17 days. Because you have to take a look at what that line is at the bottom. That line at the bottom is $300 a share. That's not zero. The Adobe stock is trading right now at 599 
So it goes, you know, from, um, what was this? I think this was 389 or 400, all the way down to sub 300. And look at that. That is a straight, straight drop down. You know, you hear the, the um, you go on a roller coaster and it goes click, 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 click. And at the top, goes over the top and all of a sudden everybody starts screaming. That's what that is. But the people screaming all worked for Adobe. So they see what's going on, but they kept turning in good results and they've been working for the year and having good quarters and it comes all the way up there. Meanwhile, in the background, you know, the regulators said, we're not gonna let this happen. So what do they have to do? 15 months after they, after September 22, when they said we're gonna do it, it's over. And here is the headline. There's no clear path to regulatory approvals from the European Commission and the UK's Competition and Market Authority. They're more sensitive about capitalism and mergers to create you know, um, monopolies and groups. They're more sensitive about that than the United States is. And, so, and they're also more liberal and more socialist. They said, we're probably never gonna give you approval. Adobe's like, I can't pay $20 billion not to get approval. So here it is, December 18th, which would be yesterday, ladies and gentlemen, Adobe and Figma call off $20 billion acquisition. It all starts coming out. Adobe terminates the deal for Figma. Both firms say, there's no clear path for regulatory approval, we're done here. And then Figma's CEO even says, he laments demise of the 20 billion deal with Adobe. He thought it was gonna be good for consumers, single source and things like that. Regulars, regulators saw it differently. So Fig, Figma doing anything wrong, Adobe didn't do anything wrong. It's just they're like, we can't let you two get together. You're too big and too powerful. Uh, we don't think that would be good, and we don't believe you when you say that the consumer would get more. We think it's good for you two to be competing, and the consumer will get more because you compete. The answer is no. So now what? So what now? Well, Figma. Guess what? They got a billion-dollar breakup fee. In other words, when Adobe said we're going to buy you, there was a 5% breakup fee in that that said if the $20 billion deal didn't go through, they would get a breakup fee. So Figma gets a billion dollars. Here's a billion dollars. For doing what? For struggling all year trying to get acquired. Also, they had a disappointed team. These people have been working since 2012, working their butt off. And they wanted to see the merger. It was going to give cash and stock for their stock. In other words, they were going to get some cash that's pretty nice, especially if you've been there for many years and you've got a little juice in the game and give you some stock. So as Adobe keeps going up and it's all the way to 599 right now, you're going to be part of that, helping the stock go up. So if you'd been there a long time and you're an early player, this is a real, not a windfall. This is the kind of return in a startup environment under a capitalism platform that you freaking deserve for working all those late hours, those late nights to get there. Now they don't get it. Hopefully the billion dollar breakup fee makes bonuses for the company that said, hey, you built a company worth buying, we're gonna take some of this and give you bonuses. Don't know. But there's rumors out there that bankers have been seen in the lobby of Figma and not because they're designing an app. They are there because they wanna be the one that facilitates private placement. Now, what does that mean? It means, hey, a lot of people see how valuable Figma is and they'd like to invest. We don't need any more money. We just got a billion dollar breakup fee and we got all that other venture capital money and we're profitable and we're making tons of money. And they said, well, wait a minute. What if they wanted to buy maybe a few of the shares that belong to some of your investors or employees? Would you let them sell? 
This is called a private placement. So a private placement, you now as a, you know, maybe a long-term engineer, been there eight years, maybe you've got $2 million worth of stock all of a sudden. You'd be happy to sell half a million of it, pay your taxes on that, maybe pay off student loans because payments have started on those again. Another story entirely. Or you just say, hey, I'll use it on a down payment on a house. Hopefully you don't live in California. Anyway, never mind. You just get some money. You can do something useful with it, pay your taxes and do something with it, and then leave a little on the table. This is what private placement allows. It allows other investors to come buy part of the company. It allows people in the company to sell some off, but the company doesn't have to take any more investment from the outside because the number of shares that are available before the private placement is equal to the ones after. It's just instead of me having $2 million worth of it as an employee, let's say, I now have a million and a half, and some other investor now has my half a million, and they want to see the company go and go public. That's what they're all going to be thinking. They want to see Figma go public because it's pretty clear that the one company that was out there was going to be able to buy them wasn't allowed to. Now, does this mean that somebody else wheels up to the table and takes a swing at it? Maybe. All could also could mean that Figma takes some of that breakup fee. Maybe they buy some smaller utilities to go with Figma. The point is Figma's in a great position. They didn't do anything wrong. They built a great company. And now some of their, if this is true about private placement, some of their employees are going to be able to get a little bit of juice, take a little off the table as a result of this uh, situation here, which they deserve in my opinion. Meanwhile, Adobe. Adobe has six billion in cash available now for other things that they were going to give to Figma. Well, the market is out there speculating, maybe they should be buying some M&A targets. Maybe they should be looking at some AI plugins for their Adobe suite of things. Let's see, you know, we'll see if that's what they do. And they also said, maybe we'll just buy back some of our own stock on the stock market and change the PE ratio a little bit more positively. Stock buybacks do that, by the way, nowadays. So both of them end up in a win position specifically because adobe ran a good business and they got out there to the end and their stock has actually risen over the course of the year following that screaming roller coaster plunge they took when they announced everybody hey guess what i'm gonna buy figma for 20 billion dollars what do you think and the stock market goes whoa hang on <clears throat> well now it's all come back and it's probably going to be a happy ending for everybody except both of these folks are now competing and Adobe has more knowledge of Figma to use to compete with, but Figma's got now a little war chest to go do some things with. That's what's going on. So what are the lessons for you and me? What can we learn from this? Well, first of all, be brave and bold. Disruption happens all the time. The guys at Figma saw an opportunity to build a product that was great, built a great product. People started adopting and using it and thought, this is best in class for designing apps and for designing things, and it gives us collaboration. Fantastic. Be brave and bold. You never, never know where it might, might have you end up. You know? And always think big. Think big about it. Don't think small. This could be a million-dollar company. No. Say, how can this be a billion-dollar company? You know, when Patrick and I talk, if it doesn't start with a B right now, we don't look at it. We're actually not interested in it. We want opportunities that start with Bs because it's high leverage, and we want to take the footprint of, of Valuetainment, Minect, and anything else we do. And if it's not a billion-dollar opportunity, we don't want to drive after it because we want to conquer big mountains in this life. Then, regulators are real. And if, if you are lucky enough, sarcastically spoken, that you're so big that the regulators show up and said, 
You should not be getting married to them. That makes you too big. That's actually a good problem to have. It means you're big and big enough that you're on radar for the federal government. Now, they may squelch your deal, but it also points out what your real market size and power is. And I've always said, more market share is good. Just keep going until the feds call up and say you have to stop. Just do it legally, and, they won't, and there won't be any problems with the feds. They'll just want you to stop. Funding. Funding can do more than provide capital, and that's just what I was talking about with Figma and the private placement maybe for some of their employees to get some off the table. Set the size and perception of a market leader. The value of Figma is $20 billion, according to the last financing round, and Adobe. That's a pretty big validation of your size. Then, private placements, let, let employees take a little off the table, but not too much. Don't let them go buy the the house by the beach and kind of retire early, especially if they're great people. Say, hey, stay at the party here. Get you a little off the table. Take care of student loans. You do some things you want for your family and put some in the bank, a little more comfort, a little bit more liquidity. But let's stay here with us, leave some chips on the table, and let's go. And that is the lesson for you and me kind of wrapped up there for whatever you're doing. The story of Figma, I love it. I think it's a great story, great software. Minect wouldn't be Minect without Figma. Now, I'm gonna pick up my vault. I hope that unlocked your brain. Vault sure unlocks mine. And I'm gonna run back to the studio and wrap up. All right, I hope you enjoyed that case study. I just love doing case studies. As you know, I say that all the time, but it's so true. I love teaching and I love finding lessons in somebody else's mistakes and successes to apply to my companies and share them for your companies. You know me, I like to say it, whether you're running a t-shirt company in Berlin or a technology company in the United States, you can learn from other people. Great artists copy, phenomenal, exceptional artists steal. There's some phrase that goes like that. If you like that case study, please check out these. A little bit more information if you enjoyed what we're doing on Figma. And until next time, I'm Tom Ellsworth, the BizDoc, and I hope I left you better than I found you.